We're living in a point where middle class family today is infinitely wealthier than royalty was a hundred years ago. How would that play out with this notion of scarcity always worried? The fact that it's really built in a way to sell your data and monetize human psychology, pushing more dopamine, more clicks, and that is extremely dark. What do you think most people are unhappy? I just think we fundamentally need better role models. You're a big fan of Joe Dispenza. I am in this steam room. Joe just comes and sits right next to me. Hey guys, welcome to Soul to Soul. Today we have my great friend Tarush in the house. Tarush Agarwal, data pioneer for WeWork, CEO and founder of 5X, multi-million dollar company he built while living in Bali, deep thinker on topics of spirituality, existence, expert on life optimization, world traveler, biohacker who tried every tool and course one can find, and one of the brightest minds of our generation. Too kind, thank you so much for having me. I was looking at Instagram, which is funny, and... Just the thought of awareness came to me. I was looking at people who are like, this is my jet, this is my Lamborghini, all the shit. And I was like, why is everybody so attracted to things? And I'm like, I don't have an answer to that. Just, just, just things. Like, because something is looking sexy and green, now we all want to see that. And the views on those are incredibly high. While we look at somebody like... There's a conflict right now in Israel, for example. There's like a very interesting thoughts people are saying about it that nobody's watching, but everybody's scrolling through things. But it just those are just things. And I was like, why are we so attracted to that? I could not understand, <laughs> like myself including. Why? I think again, this is these are things that I like to think about. Uh, this. This to me, I, I don't, I follow zero people on Instagram. I don't have a news feed. Um, but I like, I like to be able to have conversations where we're talking about things like this. This is, this, this is fun for me. I think in some ways, this life is a little bit of a joke, right? It's not yes. as real as people make it out to be. There's no quench to what the human spirit is going to want. We're just going to want more. Like you give a baby, you give your five-year-old, and I know you have one, but you buy them five presents and you bought them all the presents in the world and they look at something across the room, they look at something on TV and they actually end up wanting that. They've already given them everything. Yeah. And it's not about teaching them to be happy with what they have. I think it's very fundamental to who we are. It's like, hey, we came here to experience the reality. We came here to experience reality. We want more. We want to have everything. And, you know, the seeing it on Instagram, seeing it somewhere else brings up the feelings of lack for a lot of people. You become more separate. Yeah. And when that happens, you just want things more. You know, being a single person looking at someone with a relationship, you want that. And all of a sudden getting into a relationship and it's like, no, I actually want to be single again. Yeah. So it's not just more in terms of physical things, but it's... In some way, it's like, you know, as like source energy creators, the never ending will of like exploration is just a very human thing. When I look at the future, it seems like the way we progress as society, the more we have. So now we have much more than people used to have 20 years ago. You can have any fruit you want in any country in the world before it was like a problem. So now 
I assume that Instagram 20 years ago would be I'm eating mango. Everybody would oh, what the fuck? This guy. I want to be like mango that in guy. Indonesia? Yeah, I want to I be like that guy. I want to eat mango. And I was like, I'm flying to space. And everybody's like, okay, that sounds interesting. I should do that. Yeah. So it seems like we're moving towards like this evolution where money will not be as important. Everybody will have everything they want at some point. So how would that play out with this notion of scarcity always wanting more? I think there are a few conflicting things at play over here. Having access to way more. We're at a point where being able to get an education is at the tip of your fingertips. I think some of the bigger things which I think about are the very fabric of what we value in society. Um, And the fact that it's really built in a way to sell your data and monetize uh, human psychology in a way where it's pushing more dopamine, more clicks, more instant gratification. Um, I think that is extremely tough. I think human beings in general want more, but the algorithms, what they are doing to you. I was with a friend a few weeks ago. He was talking to me about vaping. And he mentioned that he does not have an addictive personality at all. He's a 45-year-old guy. He loves to go out, enjoys you know, having drinks, enjoy, you know, occasionally sort of binging in, in, in having fun. And he just mentioned that there's something with vapes today that he's, he has, he does not have an addictive personality and he found himself with his vape all day. He found himself uh, recently spending three, four, five hours on Instagram. So, you know, what we've created in society is, you know, I sort of read this study that weed today is like if Bob Marley lived today, he would be knocked out. Yeah. He would just straight up be on the floor, knocked out, like taking a few hits, right? The weed is like <laughs> a thousand times stronger than one like Bob Marley smoked, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think these are some of the big questions uh, which as a civilization, like what are the guardrails we're building for our kids? Like actually growing up watching the Kardashians, I don't even watch media, but that can't really be good for someone's like... Yes. Uh, and I think that's kind of what I'm getting excited about next is like, I think rebuilding some of these social media platforms in a high trust setting. One of the thoughts that come to my head that we get what we want. So the Instagram is just the chasm of our desires. It's like, oh, we elected the president we don't want, but why are we voting for that president? If we would not like this way of social media presenting us information, we would not use it. But we're getting addicted to it and loving it because this is our desires. We want to see everything at a click. We want to get dopamine hit. So they know that. My thoughts are if we move somewhere that will be maybe more honest and that it will be, there needs to be some rules around it that you don't see Lamborghinis every day. But if people desire to see Lamborghinis every day because they're sitting in their basement and their life sucks and they're like, I just want to get into a magic world of Instagram where I feel like I'm flying a private jet. And then you give them like a platform where everybody's telling the truth how their life sucks or uh, just giving them some spiritual content that they don't care. They just, they don't get immediate hit from that, that they will probably not accept it, not receive it well. I just think we fundamentally need better role models. True. Ultimately, 
a lot of these platforms amplify, I think there's something to be said about the platforms and the people behind the platforms because the energy of the people behind the platforms ultimately uh, are what those platforms are. Yeah. But being, you know, a person who, uh, you know, youth especially or, you know, someone who's going through uh, a hard time in life, like platforms like this are not very nurturing in terms of what people like this need to see. But ultimately we'll start to amplify whatever society values. Yeah. And the fact that we have XYZ people who are front and center in stage, what I'm actually most excited about is is there being better role models for us to basically look up to. And we're living at a point where, you know, if someone truly at the global stage, um, I think we just need a lot more representation of really good role models at that level. Where do we find the role models? I think amongst everyday people. And I think we're going through a wave of like more people waking up and realizing that the old way of doing things is no longer how they want to do it, is a better way of doing things. Um, and I think it, it, this is not one person. This is a collective consciousness waking up. And I think when you change enough people, when enough people change and wake up and realize, that's when all of a sudden, that's when we start to that's when we as a sort of as a sort of group start to wake up and realize that there's more and i think that's when the world starts to change yeah i mean that's one of the goals of this platform as well to wake up souls and, uh, and make people wake up which i'm very contradicted with my opinions and all of this part of me says everyone can wake up and raise their consciousness part of me says if you don't want to understand i'm not the one who tell, told you to understand if i'm going to school and i don't want to learn algebra i'm not going to learn algebra which is not a direct example i think it's a lot to be said about the quality of life of people i mean they're depressed they don't have any goals like if they get more awareness of how shitty it sometimes their life is it doesn't make them any better right so there's something to be said about maybe increasing a quality of life in terms of Quality, not giving you more stuff, but making your experiences deeper and promoting that. That probably could help people to seek for more. Like if you take me from Canada, I was exactly the same as everybody else. I was like going in a career later, but here in Bali, none of this mattered to me too much. Yeah, I mean, we know that with better information, like people in with better information, people can make better choices, and with better choices, you know, you would you would have to you would have to have better results. Um, and, you know, who you're spending your time with is sort of extremely important in terms of how that's going to navigate your life. Remember, when we started hanging out, there are so many things subconsciously, which I sort of realized, which I started picking up, sort of shadowing you and Anna and like some of our other friends. Um, and I think these are really, really cool things. And, you know, kind of I like keep going back to like having better role models because a role model is someone you look up to and you have these things called like mirror neurons, which like you start to mimic their particular patterns, how they think, how they behave, how they show up in life. And again, you know, when you have enough people who start to do that, who are actually at the forefront of where we're going as a species, that's when we as a species start to awaken. Yeah. 
to bring back some context for people that thinking that Tarush is just was born like that. This is just like <laughs> as soon as Tarush was born, he was like that. Uh, I don't even know anymore. Let's say I'm like a ghost that would transport transport to time where Tarush is working in New York. Uh, can you describe your life back then and some of your struggles back then? I keep joking that if I met myself like six or seven years ago, we probably wouldn't be friends. Yeah. Like it would also just be very administratively challenging because I would go to bed at 5 a.m. and I wake up at 5 a.m. now, so we would just not even have that much overlap. But, you know, like a lot of folks, I ended up in technology, lived in Silicon Valley, lived in New York, um, made it in terms of many ways, got a job in, in big companies, uh, a successful career on paper. But the reality is, um, was going out five nights a week, um, woke up hungover, every day looked the same, uh, worked hard at work at night, went out every night, the same conversations with the same people, um, and didn't have an easy way to get out. Like I remember like thinking to myself, I remember points in my life being like, it felt like I'd already experienced like a lot of the emotions uh, I would feel like the next promotion, I, I knew what that felt like, the, you know, heartbreak or, you know, going on a vacation or buying something new. Like the, it, I felt like I had already experienced all of those emotions and nothing was exciting anymore. And I remember like sitting to myself and like thinking to myself that, hey, if like, if this is it, if like, you know, you spend the next 60, 70, 80 years just doing this, then, you know, there has to be more there has to be more to life. Um, and I lived in New York City, had a lot of friends, but in reality, I've never felt more lonely, never felt more isolated, never felt like more helpless. And l luckily for myself, I just had this feeling in my stomach, this feeling which never went away. And it kept nagging me. Um, it kept, you know, the more times when I wasn't drunk or wasn't, you know, when I was not intoxicated, it would keep coming back. And it was this feeling which could never go away and I couldn't explain it, but it was a very familiar feeling. And it kept telling me to leave, leave, leave. And that's and that's really challenging because I'm, I'm in America. I've been there for 12 years. I'm just about to get my green card. Everything I know at this point, I left India when I was 17. Everything I know is in America, and if I leave, what would I go do? Going back to India wasn't really an option. At that time, I worked in data. Data in India was infancy. America was the only real place where, from a from a, a, a sort of profession perspective, I had you know a career and and something to look to look. And I always wanted to build a company, but the reality of it was, I was doing really well. But I was also living a New York life. I was, I stayed in a, in a beautiful studio. I, you know, was going out and eating a nice restaurant and really spending all of this money. How, you know, I didn't even imagine. I had no way of actually building something of my own. Uh, so, lived a very different life. And, you know, one day I, I couldn't take that feeling anymore, and I just decided that. I have to leave. I have to make a change. And I decided 
to go quit my job and I told my boss I'm quitting. And a dear friend of mine, uh, a few days ago, he he wanted to connect and um, he was being tasked with leaving America, going to China and going and starting the China office um, for my company. And he, um, at that point, he had questions on like, how should he do it? He needed some advice on data, how this would work. And we ended up obviously... Um, having you know 15 drinks later <laughs> uh, we decided that hey i should actually go to move to china and help him get this started it would be uh, an opportunity for me to rebuild to you know to sort of rebuild myself and i remember being on that flight i remember being on a flight from new york to shanghai i remember as a plane was taking off they were playing the song big jet plane uh, and I remember crying to myself, just knowing, this deep knowing that I'm never going to come back to America to live ever again. And living in China was very difficult. I had no friends. And it was a struggle. I, I read books. And I remember 5 a.m. Club by Robin Sharma being the first book, which I really read. And I started waking up at 5 a.m. And, and it's... It's just something which I believed in. It's something which had to work for me because, like, nothing else I'd tried had worked. And, um, you know, I think that was the best thing I did for myself uh, because it was extremely challenging to go through that. But one year later, when I, when I decided to come to Bali on a 10-day vacation, and I landed in Bali, and that was day one of COVID, and my entire life changed in 180 degrees, that wasn't the moment when my life changed. That My life changed a year before that, when I decided to move to China. Um, and the Bali piece of it was just the reality actually catching up to who I had become. I talked to a few people with addiction, and the general theme of addiction is that you're numbing something with something else. So you're trying to replace. You have some desires, you're replacing them. So if you introspect from Tarush, looking back now, what do you think was the main things you were trying to numb with alcohol? I keep going back to, you know, I think we all are creators. I think we came here to build stuff. We came here to experience. That's for myself. Um, it was around not having purpose. And like working at a big company, I think there's some people who really appreciate building and scaling and optimizing and taking things to the next level. That's not me. I like I like thinking. I like coming up with ideas. I like being hacky and scrappy. And like I like coming up with a vision and executing it. And the things which really excite me are things which I didn't have back then. And I didn't have the tools I had right, right now to actually deal with these things and to cope with it. So... You know, I think without purpose, the analogy I use is we're just like a rudder. We're just like a ship out in the middle of the ocean. You can have a really powerful engine, and the engine can be attributed to money or or status or friends or all this stuff. But if you don't have purpose, uh, you don't have any rudder. You can yeah. just be going around in circles. And that's what it was for me. That is very powerful. In Bali, you also found out your relationship to spirituality which you haven't had before, as far as I know you. So how did the discovery came about and how did that change you? I think I think spirituality can be 
can often have a bad reputation. You know, it can get into... It, I think spirituality can start to divide people. And people are like, oh, I don't relate to what these people say and they're super woo-woo and stuff like this. But ultimately, I believe it's a set of beliefs. Um, and earlier, my set of beliefs were more... Uh, everything is explained in the word of, in the words of cause and action. And over a period of time, um, I started having experiences um, when I moved to Bali and the world changed overnight and I'm in Bali and my life literally changed 180 degrees. It, I started having thoughts in my head that maybe this wasn't random. Yeah. And once you plant a seed like that, um, this seed can potentially grow into something much bigger. And with the people I started meeting and listening to their thought processes, I kind of said, right, with better information leads to, to better actions, which lead to better results. Being more aware of, hey, how many times in my life um, I was unable to explain what was happening to me, but I knew things before they actually happened. How crazy is, is it that you meet someone for the first time and without them doing anything, you often have an intuition in your head, this knowing which you can't explain of stay away yeah. or this is your person or don't go into that alleyway. Where does that come from? And as I started to, as I started to become aware of some of these things, my beliefs started changing. And this wasn't me reading some religious text or, or me watching Satguru videos or any of this. this. These were experiences which were happening to me. And once you have the experience, it's really back to go back to your old self because you've had the experience. You like it changed. Like each of these experiences changes you. So, you know, initially I was very, very skeptical of a lot of spirituality in its current form. Um, Why? As someone who believed my views of the world were very focused on cause and effect, and hey, we're responsible for our own destiny. And if I do something, it's going to lead to some result. The idea that there's something which is bigger than us, which is controlling us, and the ideas of destiny, the ideas of all these things, it didn't play nice in terms of the vision I had. Hey, I'm going out five nights a week. This can't be a great thing. If there is this spirit, this spirit is obviously not very happy with me. Yeah. So at this point, I might as well just not believe it and believe I'm in myself. It was easy to not believe it when it's not working in your favor. Um, and so I don't have any reason to believe it the people I hung out with didn't believe it uh, but ultimately uh, so I mean now I would <laughs> I would joke that I'm on the other end of that spectrum <laughs> but you know it's not like I want to sit and meditate all day it's not that I'm sitting uh, like, um, like I love traveling and I love building businesses and I love you know, I, I, I like the, I like the, I like going out and I like meeting friends and I like going for dinners and I like, you know, occasionally drinking alcohol and I like all of these different things. Uh, so it's not, you know, I think you can have it all. I, I don't think the it has to be, oh, you're spiritual or you're not spiritual, right? Like when it comes down to like hard work and execution at work, like, you know, the idea of manifestation is sit and meditate all day and be who you are. You know, I think it's one foot in each each 
you know, one foot in the real world where, you know, we work hard at work. But at the same time, I believe that my thoughts and my emotions actually also go create my life so I can do a little bit of both. I agree. It's easy to go into a route of spirituality, especially a lot of people try psychedelics and they see what's something that they haven't seen before. And they're like, that's it. Nothing makes sense anymore. There's, I'm just a <laughs> dot in different dimensions and I'm just going to sit here and things will come, especially where I live in Bali. That's, <laughs> that's a prevalent thought. Yeah. You see people sit and... We have a lot of friends like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, I think that's how we are, right? Like, in general, we are what, you know, I, I can describe this as if you believe you are more... If you believe you are more non-spiritual and you believe in, like, you know, your actions create... And you believe in the world of cause and effect... Um, then in general, what I've seen is that people will get more into that and become more extreme. And yeah. if you, if you, if you start getting spiritual, one of the, you know, something which happens is people go extreme on the other side. So we in general will go more into our extremes. And this is not just in spirituality, but you can see this in like, you know, inside the masculine feminine, right. And yeah. masculine energies are more around organization, execution, feminine energies are more creative, intuition. I'm not saying men are this and women are this. I'm just talking about masculine and feminine. But if you tend to be someone who's more organized, chances are your solution to everything in life is more organization. And if you tend to be more creative and intuitive, chances are your solution to everything in life is more of that. So by default, we'll go more into our extremes unless you have awareness of it. Yeah. So I think... You know, if you are a very organized person, what will actually serve you a lot more in life is to plan a little bit less. And if you're the and if you're the opposite, the same thing. So to think about spirituality versus non-spirituality, you know, maybe some of the people in the boot would be much better served, like actually doing some things in life and like actually taking action in in the physical realm. Yeah. I think people who spend all of their time in these realms would be much better off, like taking a week off and like actually exploring somebody's other therapies. Anna's laughing at me. <laughs> I just, I just remembering I had a that interview with Shiva, who is a, a tantra teacher. <laughs> he said, "If politicians would have more sex, imagine how much better." <laughs> exactly right. Like, They're like yeah. I mean, you don't even have to get spirituality. Just start with getting laid a little bit more, and then you're like, you know, you're getting nicer. <laughs> I like where this is going. Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, I think what. The big commonality is what attracts us as friends together is that we're similar in many ways. And one way, I'm not speaking for you, but I feel that we're very similar in going to extremes. And if we do something, we do it like to the end. If, if we like to eat the cake, we'll eat the whole cake. Moderations for cowards. Yes, I know. <laughs> but that's that's been for me like a huge problem because... I do two things, extreme. Either I do it a lot or I eliminate it. Like, it's not like we can sit here and I would drink like a glass of whiskey. I would know that I would do it every podcast and I will have a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> we don't get fucking drunk all the time. So, but I would love to be able to sit down and drink a glass of whiskey at some point. Not Bad example. I actually don't. Uh, because I just, I'm not, alcohol would be something that I, that I don't want to do. But, Many things, like eat a cake, let's say, or and don't get too fat. But it's not something that I find I can do because it just goes over extreme. And over, over, and over, I start doing it a lot. 
I see that you are better at that than me in many, many ways. Uh, so that's why I tell me how, how are you dealing with that? Because initially I feel we have the same tendency. That is one of my biggest struggles in life. Welcome to a club. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not a struggle because I quit alcohol for two years. And what I realized is that quitting is also a form of extremism. Went from one extreme drinking every day to another extreme not drinking. And I remember nightmares where I would wake up in the morning afraid because in my dream I'd had a drink. All right. And I felt, I immediately felt helpless that I'm going to go back to my old self. And that really affected me because what they tell you is if you've ever had any of these addictions, you need to quit and you have to stop. And I refused to, at one point, I decided to go leap back into it because the idea of like going for a run on a hot day and having a beer sounds incredible to me. The idea of going on a date and having a glass of wine sounds fun. Even the idea of like being with my friends once a year, I'm not talking about a, a number, but being with a great group, being with an amazing group of friends and deciding to have a night out sounds like a lot of fun. So one of the scariest things which I did a few years ago was reintroduce alcohol. And it was very challenging. And I remember falling down the wagon a few times and back to where I was. And, you know, here we go again. I, I know, I know, I know how this ends. And it was very scary. I remember feeling like a failure. I've just wasted this entire Bali experience. I've gone back to who I am. But things were different this time. Okay. It took me a lot less time to actually stand up on my feet and get back on that saddle. It was easier to do it. I I understood what was happening quicker. Sure, I, I might have gone unconscious for a week and, and had a bender for a week, but a week later, it didn't become a one-month bender. Yeah. And it became easier to do it. And I went back on the saddle, and this happened a few times. And I, I would... I would be lying like a month ago I went out and like, hey, the next day did I feel great? Like, hey, no, I, I, I definitely went back into some of my some of my patterns. But the difference now is I don't have nightmares about drinking alcohol anymore. It just got no power over me. I it's it is the coolest feeling I have ever had. I feel so, so, so grateful that I feel that I can I don't have addiction has less of a, I'm still going to have to think about it every day. I never want to smoke a cigarette. It's just one of the things I never want to do in my life. I, I tell myself that I'm one cigarette away from becoming a chain smoker. I think if I smoke, I believe I can quit again and it'll be easier. But there's some things I just don't want to do. And for some people, and like for you, it might just be, hey, I just don't want to ever want to drink again. But for me, that wasn't how I felt. I actually... I I wanted to have opportunities in life which I could enjoy a drink. Yeah. My point, the reason I bring this up is this is to me much harder than quitting, than sort of than sort of than sort of quitting an addiction, because the way most people would quit an addiction is not solve the problem is actually abstain from the substance, yeah. but the addiction is still there. 
But going after addiction, and I haven't read any books on how to go do it. I haven't done any of that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a meditator. I know what grounds me. I know how to connect. I know what are my practices. You know, being trying to be conscious enough and seeing what's happening in my mind and being okay to fall down, uh, which is the scariest thing. That's how I have I've made it to where I am today. And I'm just very, very grateful. Um, and who knows how things will end. Like, I'm not saying I've, I've cured addiction and any of this stuff, but I feel... I feel like it's a work in progress and I feel excited about about the, about directionally where I'm going with this. Beautiful. I had this psychedelic experience at one point that gave me some awareness on life that we think about addictions as big things like drinking, that they have cause and effect. But I realized how addictions can be anything, like being busy and not being able to sit down is an addiction for me that I didn't realize. You tr Every addiction tries to numb some pain. You need to face something in your life. And you're trying to get yourself busy with something not to get that. The work, YouTube, social media, going to gym can be an addiction. I know a few friends who go to gym all the time and I'm like, you're going to do way too much. It, like, it seems like there's some shit happening in your life that you need to deal with. <laughs> Stop going to gym. Anything, sex, everything we do in excess and even subconsciously, like, it's not like uh, you can have every time that you need to do something, but you're not doing it and you're doing something else and you can have sex once a week, but you will have it because you, oh, something is coming. I'm going to have sex right now. I think all of this is way of addiction. And that's where I think for you, let's say meditation really helps because you can realize that and sort of be aware of that. And I remember when I met you first, one of your, what's called addiction was biohacking. That you had a bunch of gadgets, you would buy everything you can find online, <laughs> send it to your home in Bali. That you like, you had like, you, you had so many things that you had like a museum that people can go to and you'll show them all your biohacking stuff, which was, which was very funny. But seems like you nailed it down to like meditation. As one biohacking tool, how did that journey happen? Uh, who knows? Maybe meditation is my addiction now, right? Um, I think you said something very interesting, and I, I, I think about that a lot. I think the concept of pattern interrupting is really powerful, and you know, something which you and I talk a lot offset is living in Bali versus living in other parts of the world. And every time I come back, I'm always the same thing. I'm never leaving. But a few months later, I have the, I have the urge and I go. I love, you know, meeting new people and traveling and all of this. I think one of the things which happens, just given how I live, is I have a lot of pattern interrupt. I'll give you two examples. I'm used to sleeping with the air condition on. It's just something in New York in the middle of the winter in Bali. We have air conditions over here. I love my room being the Arctic cold, and I, that's how I sleep. And in Medellin, where I spend a few months every year, there is no AC. It's just not a thing over there. It's called the city of eternal spring. The weather is great. It's just not a thing. And having to train myself to be okay with that is in some ways letting go of a pattern. 
I would always sit and work from my couch. And in Medellin, I started working from a chair. Uh, in Bali, you go everywhere by bike. And when you go to some other places, you don't have that. So, and I, I noticed when these things happen, I feel initially, I would feel uneasy. Yeah. I would feel that I want it in this way. But what's become, what's changed with time is I'm way more open to those things. There are a fewer things I really, really hold on to. Yeah. It's just become like biohacking faded away because I'm like, I haven't tried, I, I, I have to fit everything in one suitcase. I'm not going to go travel with this head mask with photobiomodulation, which is like <laughs> connecting my neck to, to, you know, these amazing lights, right? Yeah. Like being okay with like letting things go yeah. is like a muscle, like just like anything else. And I think uh, interrupting your pattern, most people, like one of the reasons I decided to leave America is everything in America connected me to who I was. Like my co-workers, like walking out of my street, walking past the neighborhood bar, like what we do on a Friday night, my friends, what we say to each other, the music. Yeah. And leaving that was a huge pattern interrupt. It actually allowed me. Um, and, you know, I have a lot of respect for people who can just be in this similar environment and and, and decide to do it. I think that requires more power. Yeah. Um, so... It's just kind of just how I turned out, but this is you know one of the things which I use to actually help me reset habits. But I think that's your superpower because you come up with a weird idea in a second, and then we're just like we're <laughs> sitting here now. I won't be surprised if we're going to some <laughs> Arctic Pole Zoo in like a few minutes or some fucking play. <laughs> and a lot, not a lot of people are able to handle that. Like I remember we had a tea ceremony that we organized, and then at some point you're like. We're all going to my house. We're going to order some Chinese food. Here we go. And people will be like, maybe we should go to the restaurant. We're going to his house. Who decided that? There's so many questions in their mind. They might can't process that. And I can understand that because I was also like that. But now meeting people like yourself who are like easy on the flow uh, because you interrupt your patterns so much. For you, that's like natural. There's nothing better. Things happen. Whatever. Things change. But for, for myself before, it would be like a tragedy. If something, if you like organize this podcast and, and we're late, I would be like stressed <laughs> out. But once you're living in a place like Bali, let's say, it teaches you a lot. Like you get like a pool guy and he says, I'm coming tomorrow. And you're like, he's probably coming this month. <laughs> I mean, I don't know when he's coming. And they like to need to remind him in a week. <laughs> so yeah. You said you're going to come tomorrow. He's like, no, no, I'm coming today. Yeah. They're like, okay, he's probably going to come next <laughs> week. <laughs> and when pool is dirty, you're like, Get the fuck out of here. here. He's like, okay, I'm coming. <laughs> but I think that's the beauty of life. Like if you have a scripted moments, you're not really living. You're yeah. just you're just living your memories kind of thing. I think the I think the traveling piece is probably something I get asked most often. I'm on the road two hundred days a year. Uh and people come to me all the time and say that doesn't like I can't do that it doesn't that sounds like it doesn't come naturally to me well it didn't come naturally to me either like it's something which I moved to America for college and I moved to San Francisco and then you know moving to New York to, to live with some friends and then Shanghai was a real struggle and in Bali it took me six seven months to rebuild you know 
uh, to rebuild my friend circle, which, which you and Anna became, you know, very, very close to very, very, very quickly on. But those things took a lot of time and a lot of practice. So it's easier now when I move to a new place because this is not the first or second time I'm doing this. I've done this like six or seven times. I know what the I know what the playbook looks like. I know what's the first thing you want to do. I know how to meet new people, how You're to build this. Exactly right. <laughs> it all starts. The sort of sauna is 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 what brings people together. Yes. But uh, so you know it it it's. I think if you feel stuck and you feel like you are in a pattern and it becomes difficult to quit, like what are some of the things you could do to actually go interrupt those patterns is a really powerful way to actually learn to like let go of your strong preferences in everything. Like the fewer strong preferences you have, like the idea of like, hey, I have the the place I live in has to be at this level. I can't go on a backpack trip somewhere. All of these are like strong preferences, which like cut out so much of the magic in life for you. Yeah. And if you have like, if most of your life you have strong preferences for everything, like you get to experience the magic of life way less. Yeah, you're limiting most, yourself to living in a certain way. So everything is the same. One of the most beautiful things we get to do is, you know, and I know you've traveled a lot and seen many places. And I think it's really special to be able to like pack up your bags and go somewhere else and, 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 and get a fresh start. Yeah. And um, I think um, that's just the type of life I want to subscribe to where I want to change my Zoom background. And I don't mean the virtual one. I mean the real one. Yeah. Uh, I, that's how I want to live my life. People t- ask me all the time, like, wow, you have such a nice background. They feel really bad. <laughs> I'm, uh, some of my clients for the work are people from uh, offices in the United States. Yeah. But I should, I should actually say about the sauna drugs. People like, why saunas? Well, Everybody knows Tarush from sauna because his playbook was coming to Bali and getting in the most luxurious sauna in the island and sitting there connecting with people. And then he just knows everybody in the island. Uh, there was this gym called Body Factory, which was very, very popular during the pandemic. And um, what I initially loved about Bali is happy hour was hanging out in the sauna over sunset. That's where uh, the whole entire community came and, and, and like hung out. And yeah. I like that was amazing for me like that was one of my high I left Bali when they shut down Bali factory for a week that's yeah. when I left Bali for the first time I remember I was like we're supposed to do a retreat and I'm like where are you he's like I'm on a plane like, they shut down Bali factory I don't have sauna I, I cannot meet people anymore I need to go to other saunas but then interestingly enough that sauna thing way got like all the way for you to meeting one of your mentors in a sauna it's not a joke like you're a big fan of Joe Dispenza, and <laughs> tell me, tell me the story. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ruin that. Uh, I've been following Joe's work. Joe's work is very transformative, very transformative in my life at this point. Meditation, a lot of it, all of it is really. Um, I'm very grateful to. I'm very, very grateful to to, to Dr. Joe Dispenza. A, a lot of my thoughts, which I shared from your. Uh, in this conversation have been shaped by Joe's work. Um, and uh, I've been going for his retreats. Uh, and I've 
I, I, I show up for his retreats because I love the people who I meet. These are people who, these are people who are like me. These are people who wake up early in the morning and meditate. This is, this is, this is really fun for me. And these are the people who I like traveling with. These are the people who, who are excited about similar things in life, which I'm excited about. So I don't really go for these meditation retreats anymore to go meditate because that's just something I do. That's just who I am. Like yeah. I, I meditate. That's my thing. So I go to a conference to it's, meet people. Yeah. You don't like, even listen to speakers. You just hang out with amazing people. Yeah, I, I meditate, you know, an hour or two hours every day. That's my thing. So I'm at this retreat and I am in this steam room. It's not a sauna. This is a steam room. And this is before. This is one of the advanced retreats. This is in Denver, I think, back in March. This is in Denver, maybe in May. And I'm just really excited about life. I am, like, really pumped. I'm just walking around the steam room pointing at people and just, <laughs> like, like belting out joke quotes. It's like, if you want to... If you want to be the love of life, you got to love life. It's just like, you know, this shamelessly from Joe's playbook. I ultimately go and sit. And five seconds later, Joe just comes and sits right next to me. Uh, He's like, what I, if I get, what if I get, no, he, he, it was, it was, <laughs> it was, you know, that was, that was true. And it's, I've actually met, I met, you know, when I started 5X, I met our first customer in the sauna. I met I've met a lot of really interesting people in the sauna. So it's it's many of the guests of this podcast came from Tarush's sauna experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's not it's not easily accessible. It's something which I again it was some sort of pattern interrupt. It's not a thing in Medellin. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, when I was there for the first time, I didn't get to go do it. And I think that, and when I came back to Bali, I realized, hey, I don't have to go every day. Like, I, I enjoy going. You already found your dispensary sound. You don't have to go <laughs> at all anymore. Okay, so you're sitting there, the Joe sitting next to you. And what happened next? I mean, I wish, uh, you know, we, we, we talk, I was convincing him to come to Bali and do, and do, uh, and do a Bali retreat. Um, and I wish it was... We spoke for a few minutes. What was really cool is that uh, this is a fun story. We had someone who was sitting across us, and this person starts talking about Joe's work. And I'm not sure if he knows that Joe's there or not, but he's like, you know, this this stuff actually works. I I went for <laughs> I I had an MRI and they found this patch on my lung, and my doctor told me I need to come back and like get this checked out. And I went for Joe's week-long retreat, and I went back, and the patch was gone. And then I had a dear friend of mine, um, Alex, who was sitting right next to me. And I'm not sure if these guys knew Joe was right next to me, because it's super steamy. Yeah. And Alex just looks at me and says, thank you for taking me for the last retreat. You know, ever since I did that, my business profitability went from, like, 35% to 65%. And, and you know, he's just, like, very excited. And Joe... Two hours later, goes on stage, and one of the first things he says is, "You know why I love this work? Because we had someone in the sauna, like actually, we had someone in the steam room actually, you know, sort of talk about how they've healed themselves from this lung thing, and these two kids who kept giggling, you know, they were talking about how you know their business profitabilities has sort of gone up, and uh, I just thought it was a really funny yeah, story." Yeah. Uh, so that was a really special moment. So did you connect with him afterwards? Now you're... 
I know. I've I've seen him before. I've seen him at other events, and I've I I got to go for small retreats and and you know mm-hmm. ha- been with him in like many events. But you know, at this point, like for me, it's less about um, you know, it's less about uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza. Like he is a human being. He's what he's doing right now. He is is in- incredible. His work is 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 incredible. But at the, at the end of the day. Uh, he's just he's a human being and like I think having the amount of attention he gets from like you know at, at these retreats he's like literally a celebrity yeah, yeah, so yeah. as much as I would love to hang out and chat and, and sort of get to know him deeper like I think like allowing him to do what he wants to do and uh, and focusing more on his message and less about making he, it about him not a lot of people know about Joe Dispenza well Maybe now they do, but he's not like mainstream to the extent as people who post their private jets on Instagram. Um, so what was, let's say, if you summarize your biggest lessons in few things, few sentences, what what are they from Joe Dispenza? It's funny because I can, I can probably say a lot of his stuff by heart. I've, like, I remember gifting... I remember when I first did his first retreat, uh, his first his first workshop is like this online workshop. It's called the Progressive and the Intensive, and they're you know a five hour online program and a fifteen hour program. And the first time I did it, it changed me really fundamentally. I was taking notes and I learned it up. And every time someone's come to me in the last few years, being like asking for ways to get themselves unstuck, I always you know point to Joe's work, and I think I've gifted that program to like 40 different people and maybe two of them have actually ever finished it but every time I gift it to someone I get so excited that I do the entire thing again so I've done this like 40 times now Uh, you know I've gone for a bunch of these retreats so in some ways like my friends joke that I can actually say like a lot of what he says just I just know it by heart so when you ask me like a part of me just wants to start you know using his words but in order to really give you like a very, very, very quick summary, I think a lot of what I get out of his work is that everything, every way you are, every problem that you have, every disease, every lack, every separation, every you know, everything which you have, you have created that at some level. And if you want to change any of this, then in order to do that, you would have to change your thoughts and you would have to change your emotions. Um, and that requires a lot of awareness to become aware of, you know, your subconscious thoughts and emotions and limiting beliefs and stories and suffering and hate and guilt and all of these different things, which at some point you've accepted to be your truth. And this sort of story, which you tell yourself, uh, at some point you need a better story. And Joe makes you extremely aware of that and gives you the tools. Um, I think that's Joe Dispenza in... Beautiful. I want to talk about something that you introduced me to and I'm forever grateful for that was plant medicine. So we did, I think, one or two retreats with you together and you seemed to, used to do it a lot. You would do some microdosing and all this biohacking, figure out psychedelics and then uh, you did all those kind of retreats everywhere. But you seem to do it less and less. What What is the catalyst for this? Yeah, I haven't done plant medicines in a long time. And, you know, similar to the biohacking stuff, which kind of went away, right? Like, what I got from this, and 
is my experience of this is plant medicines are a beautiful window into what's possible if you haven't done them before ayahuasca has become really popular mushrooms all of these different amazing medicines they helped you they helped me initially realize beyond any doubt that the idea of causation of cause and effect that there's more to life than that that there is um that spirit is a real thing and intuition and knowing and and a lot of these things which we've which we've spoken about today but ultimately for myself what i discovered is a lot of these what plant medicines really are is a window into what's possible yeah um there's no door there so once you have the awareness and once you know you can go back and you can go get insights using these medicines and you can use it as a tool to get this um however you can get this yourself uh and you can meditation is really a a a technique to be able to go to those places without needing something yeah. and for me that is my greatest truth is being able to sit down and focus in the space between my eyes and to be able to get these a lot of these teachings and wisdom and i've actually had conversations with plant medicine like i remember my last ceremony with you uh my 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 message was uh you all for the next chapter you already know you all t- go trust your intuition go trust like how go go trust your intuition in figuring out how to find these insights so my journey really has been to build those muscles um internally yeah uh, i mean i would still like it's not again i don't look at the world as black and white as i used to do it like if uh, a beautiful opportunity comes up i might take part in it but now it's less of i'm doing this to get some insights and more i'm doing this to just have an experience maybe with some friends uh but how i want to get my insights is more trusting my intuition beautiful um so you evolved a lot as a person spiritually professionally uh looking at your core values right now in life if you could describe them what are they What's really cool is me and Anatoly both did a retreat together uh with Will with Will Travis on Elevation Barn. I know he's been on the show before. And I think Will's I think the Elevation Barn is an incredible program and it helped really fine tune some of these. But I I want to not speak about these frameworks and and you know sort of values from a values perspective and more so just flowing in terms of what I really feel in in the heart in the moment right now. I think for me kindness is a core value i i like um it's something really important to me um i think having fun is a core value i think growth is a core value and i think community um what i realize you know my biggest learning out of out of elevation barn is how excited i get by community and like how much of my life i want to actually spend in helping people connect go deeper and in some ways awaken so you know i think these are four things which are really sort of kindness growth 
uh, having fun and community. These are four things which uh, I think what's becoming actually very important, which is something I'm I'm observing and something I kind of spoke about at the beginning of this conversation is this element of trust. Um, you know, as we think about a lot of these things, like want to live in high trust societies. So I think one which is becoming really real for me now is is, is trust. Beautiful. Two more questions. Um, what are you most afraid of? I think just like everyone else have good days and bad days. The days I could think about, hey, what are we doing at work? Like we're, you know, like what if we run out of money? What if, you know, things like this happen? Days where it's like, hey, you know, what did like going out to sort of drink and wake up the next day with so much shame and guilt of, of, of sort of going out, you know, what I call the real human experience. Uh, going back sort of to one of my favorite songs, Frank Sinatra, My Way. I'm sure there are like a few things in life I, w I would really regret and some things in life I fear, but by and large, I'm just grateful that I got to do things my way. Yeah. And, you know, I think... I've thought about in my life of actual of actual deathbed regret of what are the things I will at some point in my life regret and I have just very few of those if if at all so in terms of fears like let again in some ways like what's the pattern interrupt like hey it's real yeah. I'm afraid of this but I'm gonna do what I feel like doing anyway yeah. I think I'm a, a at some point my body at this point has gotten very used to like we can be afraid but he's going to do it anyway yeah. and it becomes a little bit easier beautiful last question I ask everybody I think I asked you before but I'm going to keep asking to see if you have a new answer to that according to Tarush how to live a happy and fulfilling life life is short eat the bacon Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um I think just this work which you're doing, um, bringing incredible people on, like the, I think the wisdom is in really the entire show and the speakers which you bring on. I don't think there's anything I could say as a last line which would actually yeah. be able to convey something which like I haven't been able to say earlier with more emotion. Beautiful. Uh, thank you for coming. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. I really, really appreciate you and look forward to more of this. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you guys for watching. Please eat bacon while you're doing <laughs> it. Subscribe to the show and I'll talk to you next one. Bye-bye.